Well, hey there. My name is Pastor Tim, and you have found my podcast. I currently serve as the pastor of First United Methodist Church of Fort Pierce, Florida, and I'm so grateful to be able to connect with you in this way. This podcast is a collection of my sermons and teachings that I hope you will use to deepen and strengthen your connection with Jesus Christ so that you might go and transform the world around you. So kick back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode. Well, hey, everybody. Uh, just really grateful to be back with you. Um, and sorry for the month-long pause in uh, these episodes being published, but uh, today's episode is uh, my Easter Sunday sermon, uh, which is now uh, about a month ago. What happened right after I preached this sermon was that I got a phone call uh, that my wife was ready to give birth to our second son. And so uh, I ran uh, from the church uh, home, and then we went to the hospital, and our son was born on Easter Sunday. And then I took about uh, a month off from church duties uh, to be with my family on paternity leave. And so I, I hope you'll forgive the delay, but maybe today's episode is a good reminder of the Easter message that we are resurrection people and that Jesus has conquered the grave. So I hope you enjoy this month-old message, and we'll be back to regularly scheduled programming from here on out. Well, he is risen. Yeah, so that's your part of this sermon, all right? Because I had to do three services today, so I need you guys to pick up some of the work for me, all right? So every time that I say he is risen, you're going to say? Indeed, indeed, right. Okay, you're doing good. So, so he is risen. He is risen all right, good. That's the extent of the interactive part of the sermon, but it's going to keep coming around when you least expect it, so you have to pay attention. But how many times, right, have you heard that in your life? He is risen. He is risen indeed. You're getting it, yeah. Maybe 20, 30, 100, several hundred times. We pastors have heard it several hundred times at least because we do this a lot. But have you ever found it curious that we say he is risen? He is risen indeed. Rather than he has risen. I know, right? It doesn't sound right. See, when we say he is risen, risen we are making a, a, a profound distinction. We are acknowledging something with our lips that goes beyond a single one-time event, right? We say he is risen because the resurrection of Jesus is not something that happened only once in the past 2,000 years ago. When we say he is risen, he is risen we are confessing that the resurrection of Jesus is a current reality for us. It happened in the past, yes, but it is continuing to happen in and around us and among us as we celebrate and acknowledge Jesus' power over the grave. 
And that's a really, really, really important reality because we aren't gathered here today to simply remember something that happened in the past. We are here to celebrate the work of God in our world and in our hearts and our lives today. We are here to celebrate the fact that because a Jewish rabbi was crucified and died a criminal's death and then subsequently came out of the grave 2,000 years ago, that we have the opportunity to experience transformed lives in a transformed world. And we celebrate that because Jesus, the Son of God, paid a debt that you and I and anyone who has ever lived could not pay for themselves. And that now, because of that, we have the freedom to live our lives in new ways that leave behind all of the destructive behaviors that we have learned to break all of the negative patterns that lead us to live unfulfilled lives that miss the call that God has placed on each and every one of us. But the really sad thing is this. We do this every year, right? We do this every year and often nothing changes. We still lead lives that are, in some way or another, lacking. We still go about our lives left feeling like there's, there is something missing here, like, like there's got to be more. I've got to be more. God's got to be more. Life has got to be more. We just can't seem to get or be enough. And it kills us slowly inside. As we march forth year after year, closer and closer to our natural death, while celebrating once a year that Jesus came up out of the grave, we miss the point that Jesus is that enough that we seek with all of our beings. That Jesus came out of the grave to show us that he is enough. To show us the power of God to transform our world and help us to see just how much enough there is in this world for us in and through him. And so we come once a year and proclaim this, but I think that once a year just simply isn't enough because we just go right on back to living our lives in a way that feels like something is lacking. A Dutch theologian named Henry Nouwen diagnosed the human condition in this way. He said, while our minds and hearts are filled with many things, and we wonder how we can live up to the expectations imposed on us by ourselves and others, we have a deep sense of unfulfillment. While busy with and worried about many things, we seldom feel truly satisfied, at peace, or at home. A gnawing sense of being unfulfilled underlies our filled lives. 
The great paradox of our time is that many of us are busy and bored at the same time. In short, while our lives are full, we feel unfulfilled. I think that we all face this reality on some level or another if we are willing to be truly honest with ourselves about ourselves, right? It comes to us because of a sneaky scarcity complex that is buried deep inside each and every one of us. A a scarcity complex that tells us that somehow we always need to be doing more or getting more in order to get ahead or in order to just keep up with the Joneses, right? But while we are all twisted up and distracted by this mess, Jesus is calling to us from the empty tomb like, hello, why are you looking for the living amongst the dead? Why are you looking for life, for fulfillment, for enoughness in a graveyard of busyness and exhaustion? You see, the problem is that the empty tomb, that that Easter Sunday, isn't enough for us because we aren't allowing it to clue us into the greater truth that the empty tomb represents. See, the empty tomb means nothing if we don't recognize that what came out of it is the very presence of God coming to dwell with us for eternity. The empty tomb is either a space where a one-time event happened or it is a space that is still happening today, a space that continually allows us to experience the presence of God. And the difference between being unfulfilled and fulfilled, not enough and enough, is directly related to which way we choose to see it. In the years that followed Mary's interaction with Jesus at the empty tomb, which we read earlier, after she was sent to tell the disciples what had happened and all that Jesus had told her to tell them, the message of Jesus, the message of the kingdom of God, the message of the resurrection began to spread across the known world. And Jesus' resurrection made clear that Jesus was present in this world, but then 50 days later, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit, the breath of God, came to fill everyone who believed. And that Spirit was and is still the very presence of God come to live in and amongst all of us. And so as the story and the truth of Jesus spread, people began to wonder just how far out from Jesus' initial community does the love of Jesus go? Was it just for Jewish people? Or was it for all people? And if it was for all people, did they have to become Jewish first in order to receive this blessing? You see, Jesus and most of his early followers were of the Jewish faith. In fact, Christianity began as a sect of Judaism. 
they were for all intents and purposes considered Jewish. And so Peter, the one who ran to the tomb with John but got there second because John told the story and John always wins when John tells the story. Peter, he became the leader of this movement of Jesus' followers. And as this question began to be debated almost uh, bitterly and almost threatened to split apart Jesus' new community, Peter said, I've got to go and find out just how we are to proceed because all of these non-Jewish people are hearing the message of Jesus and they want in. And so Peter went to a town called Joppa, and he was invited to come and share dinner at a dinner party with a Roman soldier by the name of Cornelius. Now, Cornelius was clearly a powerful and influential guy, shown by the number of people that showed up for this party that Peter was invited to. Now, this created a bit of a problem for Peter in his mind, because Jewish folks didn't typically eat with non-Jewish people because the food laws were so stringent, there was just no way to tell whether or not they were being broken. And so the night before the dinner party, God came to Peter in a dream. And God essentially said to him, you go on to the party, go on and eat. You're free to go, there's not even a curfew. Like, don't be back at midnight, get home whenever you get home, I trust you. Don't call anything unclean that I have called clean. And so what God meant was not only was it okay for Peter to eat the food that was being served there, but also that these people that he was going to spend the evening with, who were typically considered unclean by the greater Jewish society, were no longer to be considered in that way. They were now clean. These people were now enough. And so Peter went to the dinner party, and while he was there, he proclaimed these words, which we find in Acts chapter 10, beginning at verse 34. It says, Then Peter began to speak to them. I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. You know the message he sent to the people of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. That message spread throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John announced, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. How he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses to all that he did, both in Judea and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and allowed him to appear. Not to all the people, but to us who were chosen by God as witnesses and who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to all the people and to testify that he is the one ordained by God as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. 
So what Peter has done is he has opened the tomb, so to speak. Peter has given these non-Jewish people access to the truth and to the presence of God in Christ Jesus. The only stipulation was to believe. That's all. That's all that they needed to do in order to receive this gift. And this was really, really good news to these people. Because if there was other stipulations imposed on them, if they were required to become Jewish first in order to become a part of Jesus' new community and the kingdom of God, then that would present a significant stumbling block for them. It wasn't an easy thing to do. Rather, Peter says to them, you are enough for Jesus. All that you need to do is believe. But Peter also says to them, Jesus is enough for you. You know, so while these folks don't need to become Jewish, there is something that Peter's expecting them to do here. They need to stop the busybody worship of their many pagan gods. Those gods for whom they wasted so much time and energy and business on trying to appease, hoping that they would be enough for them. All of those gods were going to have to go. And I think that you can probably see the correlation here to our modern lives, right? I know that we don't go to the local temple of Zeus or Athena, but we do sure expend a lot of time and energy on the gods of consumerism, of consumption, and personal vanity, don't we? If we can only get enough or look good enough, or eat enough, or drink enough, or whatever enough, then we'll be fulfilled. Then our lives will be blessed and we'll have meaning. But Peter says, no. Worship Jesus as Lord of all. Believe in him. Receive forgiveness. And that is enough. But that's not even where this story ends. Because leaving it there would be like if Jesus came out of the grave and just left us to figure it out for ourselves. So the story continues on, picking up in verse 44. It says, while Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter, that's the Jewish folks, were astounded by the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on even the Gentiles. That's all the non-Jewish folks. For they heard them speaking in tongues and extolling God. And then Peter said, Can anyone withhold the water for baptizing these people who have to be baptized, who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And so he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they invited him to stay for several days. You see, the Spirit of God, the very presence of God, comes to live in and among these people who were once seen as, as not enough and being outside of the plan that God had for the world. 
Jesus' Jewish followers, and really all Jewish people, saw their Roman and Greek neighbors as their captors, as their oppressors. And in a stunning reversal, the God of Israel came to the oppressors of Israel through the people of Israel in order to show them that they were enough and that through him they could find new lives that were fulfilling. And they were invited to participate in God's mission to this world. In this moment in time, sparked the movement of God across the known world. A movement that saw a new cooperation between God's people as they sought to bring the knowledge of this enoughness in Christ that they had found all across the Roman world. It was a mission that demanded dedication and commitment, but it was a mission that paid full dividends in the form of fulfilled lives as the people of God witnessed the transformation of individuals, of communities, and eventually the transformation of an empire. And so what we have to ask ourselves is this. Has the empty tomb been enough for me, really? Has the empty tomb been something that I have embraced Is the empty tomb the reality that I know invites me to recognize that God is enough, that I am enough, and just maybe all of those people who I see that I think must possibly be outside the realm of the grace of God are also enough as well? Have I embraced the reality that it's my job to make sure that they hear those words, you, child of God, are enough? And what would it look like for me, for you all, to live in the presence of that God who is enough for you on all the other 364 days of the year that aren't Easter Sunday? What would it look like if every single morning you woke up and acknowledged, He is risen? He is risen indeed. You remember. What if that's how we told our stories? That I am risen, that my child is risen, that my community is risen, my city is risen, my purpose is risen, my life is risen, all because he is risen. risen There's no has been in those statements. They are statements of now and statements of forever. Statements that recognize that the presence of God is at work in our lives and in your world. We don't just accept Jesus one day in the past. We accept Jesus for all of the days, past, present, and future. And that's a real thing. That's actionable truth. That's who we are called to be and how we are called to live. As Easter people who proclaim, He is risen. He is risen indeed. 
that, my friends, makes all of the difference. That is enough. That makes you enough. That makes everyone in this world enough. Because God, the one who knows every single hair on the head of every single person who has ever lived on this great green earth, says that they are enough and he is enough for them. The empty tomb invites you to leave scarcity behind and embrace that truth, that you are enough and that God is enough for you. And the choice is yours every single day to say with all of your heart, He is risen. Let's pray. God of the empty tomb, good and gracious one, one who is enough for us gathered here, for all people who have ever lived, we thank you that you look down and you see a whole bunch of enough, not a whole bunch of broken people with, with broken minds and broken hearts, but people who are enough for you. So God, we ask that your spirit would remind us day in and day out just how true that statement is. That because you came out of the tomb, we are invited to a new life that embraces just how full your promises are to us. So God, Shape us and mold us and, and move us to be agents of your enoughness, to, to embrace that in ourselves, yes, but to bring that message to the world around us, to all those who are brokenhearted, who are downtrodden, who are afflicted, who are oppressed, those who just sit and wonder, there's got to be more to life than this. Help us to be the ones that say, friend, there sure is. Let me tell you about the God of enough, the God of the empty tomb, the God who took away the sins of our world. We thank you for the salvation that you offer to us. Thank you for the work of your cross and the work of your empty tomb and the work of your spirit in and among the church and throughout this world. It's in your precious and holy name.